Dear people of God, if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We're going to be looking at the last portion of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians this morning. This is our habit, if you are new with us, that we go expositionally, verse by verse, section by section, through various uh, books of the Bible. We have been now in 2 Corinthians for some time. And the theme of 2 Corinthians is Paul defending his ministry against the attacks of the proud uh, false apostles. And so we're going to see more of this directly this morning. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Amen. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. <clears throat> Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors. Far more imprisonments. With countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Thus far the reading 
of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Lord, our God, Lord, we ask that you would open up your word to us. That in your word, we might know you better. That in your word, we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. That in your word, we might know our need for a Savior and your provision for us in Jesus. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. The way of the world is strength and power. The way of the world is to make sure that everyone knows you are in control. We see this in the way that we interact with people in business, for example. We make sure that they know our resume, that they know everything that we are capable of doing, that they know all that we can do well, all of the ways in which we should be put in charge and we should be authoritative. In the world, intimidation is strength. We are taught never to show any sign of weakness. But that is not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the Christian. For the Christian, we must know that it is okay to be weak because it does not depend on us. Paul reminds us this morning that it is God who is great. And God uses weak people for his glory. This morning we see the Apostle Paul boasting. He is reluctant to do so. He says it's a foolish endeavor. But he is compelled to do this because of the attacks on the church at Corinth and his ministry by false apostles. So let us then look at our text this morning in three headings. First, Paul shows us the necessity of boasting. Why Paul must boast. He is under necessity to boast. Second, he gives us his right to boasting. Who he is and what right he has to boast. And then finally, Paul gives us his boasting in weakness. He doesn't boast in his strength or his power or his control. He boasts in his weakness so that God might get all the glory. Let's begin then this morning by looking at the necessity of boasting from the Apostle Paul. We have to remember that Paul is continuing here his attack on the false apostles, those who are undermining the gospel and the ministry at Corinth. We must remember that they are proud. They are full of themselves. What they said was that church leaders have to be great people. They have to be exceptional men. They should be men with amazing experiences. They should be strong, dominating. The kind of men who walk into a room and just take over. Paul was none of these things. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't imposing or dynamic. He didn't have achievements to boast in, at least that he was willing to boast in. And so they looked down on Paul. But Paul does not want to enter into their world. He doesn't want to 
blow his own horn. He doesn't want to boast about what he's done, his achievements. It's very unnatural for Paul. And that's why he tells us that this is foolishness. In verse 16, he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so I can boast a little bit. He's picking up a theme that he started in verse 1 of this chapter, where he asked us to bear with him just in a little bit of foolishness. To bear with him because he has a divine jealousy for us. Paul says, don't think me foolish if I just want to defend myself. But even if you do think this is foolish, bear with me. Listen to me just a little bit. After all, you have accommodated other fools, so you should be able to bear with me just a little bit. Now, this is not Paul's ordinary way of ministry. We see this in verse 17. He says, What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. The way of Paul's speaking here is unusual, and we see it even in his vocabulary. He doesn't use the ordinary word he would use for speaking or talking. The word that is also used for stating an argument or stating a position. He uses a different Greek word that is more about just chattering or babbling or talking or even making noise. It's not that it's nonsensical, but it's, it's more informal. It's not Paul laying down an argument. He, he feels a bit out of sorts doing this. Have you ever felt that way when you've been compelled to do something? Someone's made you do something that is not in your comfort zone? I imagine for many of you that would include if I said, come on up now and you finish the sermon. You'd say, no, pastor, there's no chance of me getting up in front of people and talking. I'm not going to do that. Now, obviously, that's not a fear that I have. And I'm glad for that. And you should be as well. Or we'd spend about the next 30 minutes in a very awkward silence. I don't have any difficulties standing up in front of tens or hundreds or even a thousand people and speaking. But that doesn't mean that I don't have my own comfort zone. Please, please do not ask me to be in charge of a room full of five and six-year-olds. Now, I love five and six-year-olds. I just don't want to be in charge of them. Because five and six-year-olds don't care if you've learned Hebrew or Greek or how many degrees you have, or if you used to be a lawyer. No, they don't care about any of that. Trying to keep them under control is beyond my comfort zone. And so we all have that. Now, reach into your mind and think about that. That's where Paul is right now. He's very uncomfortable doing this. He knows it has to be done, because he can't allow his opponents to run roughshod over him and his ministry. But it's, it's foolish. It's foolhardy. And... He even tells us this when he says he's speaking not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Now, there are some commentators, I will spare you the long rundown, who take this verse to say, Aha! Paul's telling us the Bible isn't inspired. He's saying he doesn't speak as the Lord tells him to speak. You don't have to pay attention to anything Paul's saying here because it's not inspired. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying is much more obvious and direct. What he's saying is, I don't have an example from Jesus to follow. I don't have a template for boasting from Jesus. 
and that's true, isn't it? If you go look throughout all of the Gospels, you will not find an instance of Jesus boasting in who he is and what he has done. You won't find that passage in the Gospels where Jesus goes against the Pharisees and he says, you know, I hung the moon, like for real, and the sun, and I created all things. I am the eternal son of God. He doesn't do that. He doesn't stand on what is rightfully his. He doesn't boast. And so Paul says, I'm kind of on my own here. I can't follow Jesus. And that's hard for Paul because above all things, Paul wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to act like Jesus. And he's only doing this here out of a necessity. Instead, he has to act like a fool, like his opponents. That's what Paul means in verse 18. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. That's what his opponents did. They talked about all their achievements, all their credentials. And so Paul says, I will too now. You've made me do this. What Paul is doing here is answering a fool. Have you ever been confused by Proverbs 26? Where in back-to-back verses, the Proverbs write, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And then the next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be thought wise. And you said to yourself, Solomon, I know God says you're smart, but I don't get this. Which one is it? And I think the answer to that is found here. And that is that Paul is taking on the foolishness of his opponents, lest they be thought wise and upend the ministry, but he will not take it to heart. He will not become that fool. He only does it when he is compelled to do so. That's what Paul's doing here. Sometimes you are forced to defend yourself. But it should not be a happy time. We should be reluctant to defend ourselves. And more needs to be at stake simply than our reputation. We can learn from Paul here. Paul is defending himself because the gospel is at stake. Paul gives this disclaimer before he will be a fool, before he will boast. And he then goes on in verse 19 to give a special kind of disclaimer. He says, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. Now, Paul's already told us he doesn't like to defend himself this way, but he's being forced into the tactics of his opponents. And the reason is, is that because the Corinthians have accepted his opponents' tactics. They like foolish boasting, Paul says. And so Paul turns to sarcasm to make his point. You can almost hear it jump off the page. Well, you are so wise that you listen to fools. And it's even clearer in the Greek because the word for wise and the word for fool is the same word except for fool has a not prefix put in front of it. And so it's a sharp and binding point. You're so smart, you listen to fools. What a wonderful way to go about living, Paul says. Now, sarcasm in the Bible is found, it is not an unbiblical thing to use sarcasm. We must be careful 
with it, and it has to have an appropriate uh, arena in which we use it against the ungodly. I am not advising you young people to make sarcasm a part of your communication with your parents. But we see it, for example, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah is battling the prophets of Baal. And they're having a contest, if you will, to see who can call down fire from heaven. And the prophets, they, they chant and they cut themselves and they march and they clang and they bang. And, of course, no fire comes because Baal is no God. And Elijah looks at them and he says, you might want to be a little bit louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he went off on a trip and he can't hear you. And of course, Elijah is mocking them because they are trying to serve a God who is no God. And so he's using sarcasm to make a point. Paul does this himself with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Paul's point is, it is by the foolishness of preaching and God's word that we become wise. And so don't think you are wiser than God's word. Sarcasm that he uses. Paul is jarring them back to reality. You might imagine that the Corinthians have been put in a trance by Paul's opponents. And Paul has to shake them, maybe even smack them on the cheek to wake them up. That's what he's doing here. He says, you are so smart. Yeah, you put up with fools. You, you think you know their words because you're so smart. But do you think it's possible that you might be deceived? Oughtn't you to take another look at this, Paul says? If you have such good sense, why are you listening to people who have no sense? And then he presses the point home. He says, what have they done to you? Well, I can understand why you'd listen to them. Of course, they've enslaved you. That must be wonderful. And they've manipulated you. They've put you under a yoke that you can't bear. So, of course, I can understand why you would want to follow them. And more than that, they have devoured you. They've taken your money and your possessions. What a wonderful thing to have happen to you. And, and they've trapped you. They've abused your authority. They've taken advantage of you, Paul says. They control you. And on top of all of that, they have humiliated you. When they're around you, they tell you how much better they are than you. And they put on airs, Paul says. And they insult you. They harm you. They treat you with disrespect. They smack you in the face, Paul says. And then you could almost hear Paul's unspoken question. Is this the way of Jesus? Are you happy with this situation? Is, is that what you want? I have to say, he writes to us in verse 20, I was too weak to act like that. If you want to say that I'm weak, guilty as charged. Because I was too weak to enslave you, to devour you, and to lord it over you. If that's what it means to be strong, I was weak. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's turning his opponent's arguments against them. He's saying, I'm ashamed to be so weak. Maybe I should have been stronger and harmed you. Now, this highlights the difference that being a Christian makes. 
Christians do not follow the way of the world. Power. Control. We are compassionate. We are gracious. Even when others think that that is weak. Don't be afraid of that. They thought Jesus was weak. And he is almighty. But he's gracious. He's loving. He is the model for the Christian to follow. After Paul gives his apology for boasting, he starts to then defend himself with the right that he has to boast. Paul has admitted that he hasn't in the past tried to impress the Corinthians. And because of that, his opponents have been able to install themselves in that congregation. But now, after being compelled to boast, he offers his right to boast. He says, are you impressed with them? Let me tell you that I'm not inferior to them in any way. And he exercises their brand of foolishness. This is where we learn a bit more about Paul's opponents. He asks three questions, things that they would have gloried in, what they would have tried to impress others with. And then he answers each with, so am I. The idea is that he can match their best. He doesn't want to, but he will for the sake of the gospel and for the church. The first question he asks is, are they Hebrews? Now, the idea here is ethnic purity. The word Hebrew comes from being a descendant of Abar, Abar that we find in Genesis. Abraham was called the Hebrew in Genesis 14. And Hebrew was a designation of those who were Jews who didn't only speak Greek or those who did not have Gentile ancestors. They were the pure Jews. They were ethnically Jewish. Now, you should see immediately the foolishness of this. That these false apostles are trying to impress Gentiles with the fact that they're not Gentiles. What they're doing here is trying to set themselves up in a rung above everyone at Corinth. Because if it means more to be a Hebrew than to be a Gentile, then immediately they rise to the top and are in authority. But Paul plays along here. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. He says, I was educated in Jerusalem under the greatest rabbi of our generation, Gamaliel. My Hebrew is flawless. I am, he will tell us later in the letter to the Philippians, a Hebrew of Hebrews. No one would mistake me for someone who isn't Jewish. The second question he asks is, are they Israelites? Now, this refers to their religious background. They claimed they were a part of God's theocratic kingdom of Israel. They had religious privileges and advantages. And once again, we can see the foolishness of this. The kingdom of Israel doesn't exist anymore. It is under the rule of the Romans. But again, Paul says, so am I. I'm... A Pharisee. I know all the laws. I've followed all the rules. I will stack my credentials religiously against anyone here in Corinth. Paul goes into great detail about this in his letter to the Philippians. 
Then the third question he asks is, are they offspring of Abraham? And this refers to God's covenant people, to the people who were chosen by God, who are a part of the covenant with God, who are blessed by God. And perhaps Paul's opponents told the Corinthians that they must submit to them because the Corinthians needed the real covenant people of God in order to be saved. This goes back to what Paul has been saying throughout the letter. They emphasized the old covenant, not the new. And Paul says, you know that I come from Abraham also, that I'm a part of God's covenant people. I taught you about the covenant. I taught you about the new covenant that Jesus has inaugurated. Now, believers today face this same temptation. To find their identity somewhere other than in Christ. In our nationality. In our pedigree. We may claim, my great-grandfather founded this church. He was a charter member. But Paul says that is foolishness. The most important identity that you can have is as a sinner saved by grace. That is your identity in Christ. But Paul pushes on and he says that he has a right to boast not just in his identity, but in his service to Jesus. In verse 23 he says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Paul shows how different his tactics are than his opponents. His opponents tore Paul down. They were constantly telling the Corinthians what Paul was not, where he fell short. They said he was nothing. Paul could have done this with them. After all, they were false apostles. They were deceitful workers. But he doesn't do that. For the sake of argument, he even assumes that they are servants of Christ. But when he speaks of himself, he separates himself from them. Before what he answered the question with was, so am I. He shows his equality with them. Now, he emphasizes the difference. He writes, I am a better one, a better servant. And he shows this in a very unique way. You may recall that Paul said, that these apostles spoke of themselves as super apostles in verse 5 of this chapter. That they were not just apostles, they were super apostles, better than Paul, better than Peter, better than John. And so what Paul does here is, he takes part of that word, the super part of super apostles, and he uses it here. He says, are they servants of Christ? He says, let me tell you about me, I'm a super servant. I'm beyond them. He takes their own designation and uses it for himself. And he suggests that the difference between him and they is so great that it actually negates their claim to even be servants of Christ. And then Paul realizes that this whole exercise is foolish. Not because there's no difference between him and his opponents. There absolutely is. But because this is not what Christians do. And so he exclaims even more. He says, I am talking like a madman. And this takes it to another level. When Paul says he is being foolish, 
He's saying he's acting without thinking. You've done that before, haven't you? You've done something without thinking. But now he says this isn't without thinking. This is a madman. This is when you think about something and everyone tells you it's crazy and you still do it. He says, I can't believe I'm doing this. It is crazy to try to rank servants of Christ. Because after all, didn't Jesus tell us the first shall be last and the last shall be first? And that leads us to our final point. Paul will do this only by boasting in his weakness. Paul could have said, I've planted all kinds of churches. I have led numerous people to Christ. I am known by powerful leaders in cities across the empire. He could have said, I met with the apostles personally. They certified my ministry. Or he could have reminded them that I came to Greece in the first place because the Holy Spirit spoke personally to me, told me to go over. I've discipled men, Paul could say, who are now the pastor of some of the largest cities in the empire. But he doesn't do that. Stop and think about that for a moment. How do you interact with other people? Is it by listing all of your credentials? Do you tell them everything you do because you want them to be impressed that they might submit themselves to you? Instead, Paul gives his weaknesses as his credentials. Could you imagine someone coming to interview at a job and on their resume they have, I have been fired from more jobs than I can count. I am absolutely incompetent at at least a half dozen types of software. Oh, by the way, I'm always typically late to work. Listing all the reasons why you shouldn't hire them. No one would do that. That's what Paul's doing here. He's glorying in his own weakness. Because when he shows himself weak, then everything that he has done, all of the church planting, all of the conversions, all of the ministry, who gets the credit? God gets the credit, not Paul. That's why he does this. Why is he a far better servant? He tells us, well, I'm a far better servant because I've been in more labors than others. I've been imprisoned more times than others. I've been beaten countless times. That doesn't exactly sound like a gold resume, does it? What in the world is this credential? Paul really is being crazy here, like he said. This is doubly foolish. If boasting is foolish then boasting in weakness is even more foolish. And so Paul boasts in his personal hardships and dangers that he's endured. He says he was lashed five times by the Jews. He received the stripes 40 less one, 39 stripes. And this is because if we go back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy chapter 25, someone who was found guilty and was to be punished by whipping by the Jews, the law said that you shall never give them more than 40 lashes. 
And then, of course, the Pharisees, being the Pharisees, said, we better stop at 39 in case we lose count along the way. Because we don't want to give more than the law said. We're going to be doubly careful, more careful than the law. And then he says, he was beaten three times by rods, which was a Gentile punishment. We see what that looks like in Acts chapter 16, when Paul is in Philippi. And the authorities, the Roman authorities, take hold of him. And they, they strip the clothes off of him. And they beat him and they throw him in jail. And he says he was shipwrecked. And the only reason he could be shipwrecked this many times, three times, is because he traveled so much by sea to bring the gospel from city to city. Because traveling by ship was very dangerous in Paul's day. It was not like traveling today. I've traveled recently in the past few years, and my traveling by sea is I get on a cruise ship that's like a floating hotel. And I have no danger, even though at the beginning of the cruise, they tell me where the life preservers are and where we should muster. And I have no doubt that this ship is staying above water. But in Paul's day, ships were overturned by winds, by waves. They hit rocks. You were almost as likely to be shipwrecked as you were to land safely. Why was Paul shipwrecked so often? Because he had to go from place to place with the gospel. He did not think his own safety was important. He says, I was actually stoned for blasphemy. We read about this in Acts chapter 14. He was taken outside the city of Lystra and stoned and left for dead. He says, I was in danger of travels, danger from robbers. Now, I want you to understand something. This is one of the earliest letters that Paul has written. Most of the book of Acts has not happened yet. Paul's in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. And so if we say to ourselves, well, you know, of course, Paul was, was beaten when he was in this Roman city. No, he wasn't. It hasn't happened yet. Well, I'm sure the Jews lashed him when he was in Jerusalem and they tried. No, it hasn't happened yet. Well, Paul had that danger. No, it hasn't happened yet. And so what we realize is the vast majority of Paul's danger the vast majority of Paul's hardship, his weaknesses, we don't even know about in the book of Acts. Now, why is that? It's because it's the book of the Acts of the Apostles in planting the church and spreading the gospel, not the book of the tale of woe of Paul. So Paul doesn't boast in his weaknesses normally. He doesn't even tell us of his weaknesses normally. Now, our experience in America is that we should be immune from all of this. We think that something is wrong if anything like this happens. And so we act as if the smallest slights are persecution. We scream that Christians are being persecuted because our favorite actor who is a Christian had his show canceled. Can you believe it? And my employer won't let me host a Bible study on his property. Well, this is just like what Paul went through, isn't it? If we were to realize what real persecution looks like, how in India, in Nigeria, and in China, and in so many other places around the globe, parents have their children stolen from them into slavery. Men and women are mutilated 
or killed simply because they claim the name of Christ or are baptized. We would understand what real persecution is. Paul also boasts in a weakness that is doing without. He includes a list of things that would shame most Americans. He says, I had many a sleepless night. I was hungry and thirsty, often without food, in cold and exposure. I didn't have proper food. I didn't have proper clothing. I didn't have proper roof over my head. What Paul's telling us is that part of serving Jesus is doing without. Now, this is not a way to make yourself more holy. It was the practical result of Paul putting Jesus and his mission first over his own comfort. Paul had sleepless nights and he was hungry at times. Now, I am not saying that it is wrong to have nice things. Or that every Christian must take a vow of poverty. That's not what the text says. But the question I think we need to ask ourselves is, when have I gone without for someone else? When have I put them first? The way that you, parents, put your children first. You seek their welfare first. You want them to be blessed first before you are. Have you put your spouse first in your marriage? Or is your tendency to say, well, you know, if he would only, well, you know, if she would only. Paul says, don't boast in that. Boast in your weakness. How can I be second? How can I put others first? How can I do this at work? How can I lift others up? How can I make others look good? Or is my tendency to push them down so I look like the hero at work? Paul then concludes with his last boast, his weakness. And that is his heartache for the church. It starts in verse 26 in the list of trials. And then he ends, danger from false brothers. It's last in the list, which makes it most prominent. It's as if Paul is saying that the worst thing that he endured of all of these miserable things was danger from false brothers because they hurt the church. After all, that's what this section, that's what the whole letter of 2 Corinthians is all about. Paul is going to these lengths of boasting because he cares for the congregation. That is his greatest concern. He writes in verse 28, And apart from other things, there are other things Paul hasn't even mentioned to us that were bad. And he doesn't even bring them up. Apart from that, he says, There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the church. And that's because Paul has responsibility for the church. And that responsibility brings about cares. It brings about anxiety. All you need to do is think, if you're a parent, about your children. Or if you're a child, think about what your parents go through. How they care for you, how they are anxious for you. Have you ever wondered why, when young people are out at night, it's the parents who stay up? 
because they're anxious for them to come home. Are you like me, parents, that virtually every time your kids leave the house, you say, be careful driving. Don't speed. Watch the weather. People are dangerous out there. Because you care for them. You're anxious for them. Again, I want you to imagine, for Paul, that being on a level writ very large. The hardest thing about being a pastor is that I hear about and experience all of your troubles. They're not my troubles, so they don't strike me as deeply as they strike you. But they strike me. And it's not one family, it's not a dozen families, it's 40 families. Now, if you're Paul and you're responsible for most of the churches being planted in his day, can you imagine the weight of that on his shoulders? And when word comes back to him that enemies are trying to destroy that church and that people are hurting and that they're not following Jesus and that they're discouraged, can you imagine the pressure of that on Paul? That's what he says. He says, I take that personally. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who falls away and I'm not indignant? That's what Paul says. He boasts in the weakness of his relationship with the church. That relationship makes him weak. He's not strong. You know, they say that one of the most difficult things about being a doctor or a nurse is that you have to kind of put up a stony face or you won't survive because there's so much sickness and death around you that you can't handle it day upon day upon day. Paul says, in the spiritual realm, I'm willing to live with that weakness. To boast in it even. Because I care for God's people. One commentator puts it this way. He says, Paul's greatest boast is his constant worry for their welfare. Well, we conclude this morning with a story. Not a story from me, but a story from Paul. The last few verses, 31, 32, and 33. If you look at it, do you wonder what it's doing here? Why is this here? Why doesn't Paul relate the rest of the story? How does it fit with all of the other things? Why isn't it up earlier in the list of problems? Some commentators think Paul started this story and then got distracted and never finished it. Why is it here? The answer is found in Acts chapter 9. At the beginning of Acts chapter 9, we meet Saul of Tarsus, who is breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he asks for letters so that he can take Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem. He's at the head of a posse on a horse in a position of authority and power, and he knows it. And he's going into Damascus to make others' lives miserable if they won't bow down. That's who Saul is. And then, he meets Jesus. He meets Jesus face to face, and he's changed forever. What did that change look like? Did mighty and powerful Paul burst into Damascus and take over the city for Christ? No. Paul went and he preached Jesus. And that brought trials and hardships. It brought threats on his life. And the mighty Paul had to escape 
out the window in a fishing basket. Can you imagine that? I can't think of anything more humbling than that. Could there have been anything weaker? But Paul boasts in it here. Because it shows the unstoppable power of God. God had taken a great enemy and turned him into someone who cared for his people. The Lord made Paul weaker in himself, but he made him stronger in the Lord. That's what God can do for you. You may think you failed at parenting, that you failed in your marriage, that you failed at school. You may wonder what worth you are now that you are older and tired. Remember that Jesus uses the weak of this world. You don't have to compete in the world. You just need to believe in and follow Jesus. And when you do, you can boast in your weakness. Let's pray.